What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. And once again, we are broadcasting this episode from our home here in the Gunnison Valley of Colorado, where more and more bike trails are opening up all up and down the valley from Hartman Rocks in Gunnison all the way up here to Mount Crested Butte. Also, if you haven't yet checked it out, we've just published our first ever Blister Mountain Bike Buyer's Guide, and you should check it out. It's available for free on our website, and if you are an active Blister member or want to become a Blister member, you will also receive a downloadable copy of the guide. So we'll include links to the guide in the show notes of this episode. Take a look and let us know what you think. Okay, a couple days ago, I spoke with Miranda Miller about starting her new YouTube channel, which is called MGM Alternative, which you should absolutely check out. We also talk about the importance of choosing our riding partners. We talk about racing enduro versus racing DH, espresso machines and World Cup wins, books, and more. This is a really fun conversation with a really thoughtful person and one really badass rider. So let's get to it. Well, Miranda, how are you today? And where are you today? Uh, I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm currently in my closet in uh, Squamish, B.C., I've actually wanted to always do a podcast in here because I, f- I just want to know, you know, how good the sound quality is. You know, there's no windows, um, you know, lots of clothes maybe to dampen any uh, any sound. So, you know, hopefully this is a crisp, good uh, audio. It's a little cramped, but I wish you all could see the view right now. It's it's pretty sweet. She, I can confirm she's definitely in a closet. I wondered if you would just open by saying like, I'm in my professional recording studio mm, yeah. and then just hope I didn't call you out. <laughs> Turns out closets next best thing to the professional recording studio. So yeah, I think exactly. you got it on the money. Yeah. So, uh, you know, maybe I can come in here later, record some slam poetry or something, mixtape. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it'll inspire me. Miranda, anytime you're ready to to get some slam poetry on wax, <laughs> you you contact me right. and we'll fire this back up. Yeah, uh, I'm here for you. Yeah, sweet. I, I actually, uh, I'm not actually really into slam poetry, but you know, who who knows what's uh, in my future? Right. Maybe <laughs> maybe it's that you didn't used to be into slam poetry. Yeah, exactly. Till like yeah. right now. Till right now, yeah. Then I just hear myself and I'm like, damn. I sound good <laughs> in this closet. Yeah. Well, hey, as you know, and uh, as most of the rest of the world doesn't, including like, you know, my poor mom, who I haven't told yet that I kind of broke myself yesterday on a mountain bike, you know, cracked four ribs and blew up my AC joint. So I am selfishly just curious. One, I was bemoaning to you, I wasn't doing anything cool. Like I was on the ride that I ride all the time. And it was in a straightaway. I have no idea how this even happens, pretty much, right? But um, tell me a little bit about your own experiences of actually getting injured. Is it truly the case that it's tended to happen 
in the like the chill stuff you've been doing? Well, honestly, for me, I'd say it's a 50-50 split. So there has been times where, you know, I've been pushing myself or, or sometimes it's not even pushing myself. It's just doing something against my gut feeling and I've uh, paid the price. But then quite a few times it's really has just been JRA just riding along. You know, I've broken my arm, you know, same thing, a blue trail in Squamish, just, you know, freak accident <laughs> and bam, broken arm, broke my wrist doing the same thing. Uh, I once was biking around, it was my first lap on a trail, I was biking around a feature because I was kind of checking everything out and there was like a small stump sticking out, hit me right on the shin, broke my tib fib, had to have surgery on it and like my foot didn't even come off the pedal, you know, like I was just cruising by you know making sure that you know doing a, a scope lap and yeah <laughs> you can you can literally get hurt doing anything <laughs> this seems to be true so i think what i'm kind of finding again this happened like i don't know 36 hours ago i think i'm finding it particularly frustrating because i can't even go back and do the like recap or reassessment of like what's the dumb thing i did this one, I'm like, dude, I honestly don't know. Like it was riding fast, but literally in a straight line. And I wasn't like wandering off or whatever. So when you, something happens to you, like when you tib fibbed, did that one leave you? Like there's literally nothing I could have done different. It just happened. The the tib fib one, I was just like, serves me right for being cautious you know like if i had just gone off the drop or whatever and not even checked it out i wouldn't have broken my leg um but a lot of these things you just like i don't know you just want to blame something but yeah it's just it's just friggin what happened i don't know <laughs> it's just what happened all right yeah. well <laughs> you can't dwell on them too much you know like if there is something obvious you obviously have to learn from it and and move on but so many times, you know, you're, you just, I don't know, life, it's life. Yeah. So this is an interesting thing, right? You, you have said some of the times when you've gotten hurt in the past, it's when you, you didn't have that great sense. You didn't have, you had kind of that feeling like, yeah, I'm not sure about this. You did it anyway. You got hurt. This is a nice segue into the YouTube series you've been doing. MGM alternative, right? Because this is interesting because this is literally, we get to watch you kind of go from being like, yeah, I'm not so sure I'm feeling this right now. But isn't this the case that in some of these videos, what we do is we get to see you sort of convince yourself that you're all right to go. Help me understand this. Yeah, I mean, so we had this idea to do like uh, comfort comfort zones and stuff like that. And especially myself, because I've been hurt so much, but I haven't necessarily been hurt doing things like jumps and drops and stuff like that. But still a part of me is hesitant to push that way um, just because I have been injured so much. Um, it's And it's just a bit of a mental block, whereas I know I can do all these things. It's well within my skill range. Um, so like I was saying how a few times I have been hurt because of like a gut feeling and I've always kind of ignored that or I, or ignored it and then got hurt. Um, but now I find, 
your body almost tricks you into having that gut feeling but it's created in your mind not in your actual gut and uh it's so much easier to convince yourself not to do something and like you're scared so then you're like you kind of get nervous and you start to get this feeling and you're like oh this is like you know my gut's telling me not to do it but you it's really hard but you have to figure out what is an actual gut feeling and what is kind of created in your mind um and so that's you know you know even just watching those videos like part of me you know driving to brutus that day you know i was like i was like oh i I don't you know like i don't feel like right about it but then you just have to take a moment to reflect and be like okay why don't i and it's just like because i'm scared and then you're like okay well why am i scared and you break it down and then all of a sudden it's not as scary um and then you can actually determine whether that is you know that like gut feeling that you can't really explain or if you created that yourself um and it's been a cool process for me and i think uh as well as jesse and remy and they're they're obviously key for kind of helping me and pushing me because as soon as someone believes in you like it's so much i don't know sometimes it's hard to believe in yourself but when someone else is just 100 percent believes in you then it helps kind of you you know in turn work through it especially i think if you actually trust those people, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. One, they believe in you, but two, you believe in them that they would be honest with you if you're like, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you're ready for this, right? It it seems to me it's probably that kind of two-way street. Oh yeah, 100%. And, uh, you know, like Remy, Remy's my boyfriend and we've been together for, before we were dating, we were riding together. Like we've been riding together for probably 10 or 12 years so he knows you know he knows exactly what I can do and what you know what is well within my range or you know maybe I have to really you know I can do it but it won't be you know as straightforward things like that um it's funny through my career I've always found uh like Remy McKay Vesna and Curtis Keen at races like those were always like the three people I could always trust to like tow me into a jump or you know help me with a section um and then there's other people that you're just like i you know you're my friend i ride with you a lot but like i don't i can't follow you in (laughs) yeah and and why not i can't follow you in because i just don't have as much faith in them that they know my how i ride and like it's almost like they're just like, you know, they know they can do it. And then so then they automatically think that I can do it kind of thing. I don't know. Whereas the, whereas like the the other three, like Remy, McKay and Curtis are far more like maybe they're just better teachers or something. Yeah. And we've had this conversation a bit on bikes and big ideas, but we spend a whole lot of time, I think way more time in, say, backcountry skiing talking about group dynamics and partners and who you go in the backcountry with. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like we spend very little time talking about that when we're like going to ride bikes. Often a lot of this stuff, if you're riding trails and getting into a section that feels a bit sketchy for me personally or you personally or something like you're probably not real close to help if something does go wrong. And so it just strikes me that I don't know that I've ever quite thought about it this way, but like being out when you're riding bikes with people, when you're looking to ride some stuff that maybe is just outside of your comfort zone, 
being able to trust those folks to say you got this or maybe not, there's maybe a lot more similarity to the backcountry decision-making and trust of backcountry partners there than I think maybe I used to really give credit to. Yeah. I, yeah. That's, that's a really good, uh, good point. Yeah. It's, it's huge who you, who you ride with. And like, I, a lot of how, like, you know, you go for a ride with a new group and there's, you're riding behind someone that you've never ridden before that like greatly affects your ride. You know, like you're like, Oh, that person was super nice to follow. Or you're like, wow, I did not like following that person, you know? And it, and it's so, yeah, you need to have that experience with people. And yeah, that's a good point. Like you do, you don't. Um, well, I I think about it if I am going to go do something uh, that I'm uncomfortable with, but I feel like maybe a lot of people don't. And uh, like you never want to feel, you know, that you have to do something. And it's always like weird if, you know, if you're trying to show off or something like, yeah, it's it's very important who you're with. And yeah, that's, that's cool. That's a good point. If you don't mind, I watched again this morning the poacher video and the Brutus video. And I just was kind of curious as you've now had, you know, several more weeks to kind of think back about, and it's really fun. And I sure hope people, if they haven't watched these already, it's just always really cool to watch somebody go through more than anything, the mental steps, right. Of like how to get there. As you think back to those two things now, there's certain things about poacher that in my view actually still seem sketchier. (laughs) Yeah. Do you feel that way? And I'll tell you exactly, I'll tell you specifically what I think the element is for me, but I'm curious to hear you talk about those two. Brutus is the bigger jump, right? It's just the bigger jump. But I don't know, how are you sizing up those two features? Well, yeah, I would 100% agree with you that poacher is smaller as far as the gap and the drop goes but it is like no i mean and it's built by a pretty pretty young cool local guy matt bolton but in my opinion it is it's way harder turn going in the landing is way is like so flat like it's like a harsh landing harsh running it's like it's definitely more technical and that's why i was pretty I was glad that I had done poacher beforehand because yes, Brutus could be higher consequence if you were to misjudge something, but on the whole, it's a simpler feature. It just has the a little bit more of an intimidation factor in the sen- in this in its size. But yeah, I would one hundred percent agree that poacher is more a bit more technical. Yeah, and I mean, I think for me, the biggest thing was really just on that landing one flat and and it's a crowded run out like if if you somehow do land too heavy too weird odds of getting launched over or just you know you your wheel lands wrong odds of hitting a tree pretty high yeah did you see jesse <laughs> yeah and that's not even talking about like the turn in on poacher but you know, all these different variables and factors, but the idea of like, man, okay, it's bigger, but you can go straight with a cleaner landing. I think I just like clean landings. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I would, I would agree with you there. And Brutus has a bit of a turn. Like that's the my first hit on Brutus when I went too far to the right and kind of landed in the only spot I didn't want to land. Um, that's because you are doing like a slight turn into the lip 
and I just like I slightly overturned honestly like a few inches you know but that just set me to that direction but but then yeah like the landing is far wider it's smoother the running used to be way harder it used to used to have half the distance um and you just have to sprint in from there but uh they've recently cut a log out so it was like the the best conditions you know to to hit brutus kind of thing you know like it's easier than it was you know if last year or two years ago how are you enjoying this mgm alternative project and you know being a youtube star now and are, i think you're officially a content creator now <laughs> yeah i think i think i am or we are it's been pretty fun I feel like it's just helped all three of us do just do something else and think about other things. And um, yeah, it's been really cool. And we, we tried to backlog a bunch of videos so we could always post like when we were racing. Um, and it's pretty funny how like insecure you get, like when you're, when you're doing these things, you're like, Oh man, like is, is this video cool? <laughs> you know, like, is literally anyone going to watch this? And like some of the things that we've made, we haven't put them out yet, but we're like, oh man, I guess we should just see what happens. But uh, so far, YouTube's been, it's a very like positive uh, platform, you know, like usually people are, I guess like, you know, they're choosing to watch your content and it's longer. So they're maybe a little bit more invested, but everyone's been really, uh, really positive and, and it's actually crazy. I think what, for all of us is the in-person like how you'll just be in town and someone will come up and start talking about your youtube whereas like no one wants to talk about like oh i saw that thing on instagram because maybe they feel creepy or you know like it's not as like a personable thing oh interesting yeah like no one will like you know it's it's almost like you want to pretend like you didn't see something on someone's instagram because you feel like you're like watching them or something but on YouTube, they're just like, oh, I watched like all your videos. And it's like, it's it's funny how like, yeah, no one ever says that about Instagram, but YouTube, they're like perfectly comfortable with saying that they, you know, sat down and watched 20 minutes, you know? Yeah. It's, it's really cool. I have never thought of this before. And I, I think you're right. And like, I'm just thinking about like, sometimes I bump into my friends in town or something and I, I'm not always like, oh yeah, I saw that thing you did that this weekend because it feels, it does feel stalkery. Yeah, it feels weird. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what on earth makes that less true of YouTube, but I agree with you. Because I, I know you're, put it, you're putting it on Instagram for people to see, but then people are weird about admitting that they saw it. <laughs> Lola, let me ask you two questions. One, what's been the kind of most fun or coolest part of making videos and what's been the hardest part the coolest part is probably the creativity and the feeling of just having a bit more of a platform to talk to people or to you know like a lot of like a lot of people felt really inspired by those like comfort zone videos and that was a really cool feeling like it was felt like more of a connection through the content that you're creating um, Instagram is such a quick throwaway world. Like you can put the sickest clip on Instagram and it's going to be forgotten about in a few days, you know, or not even a few days, a few hours, you know, and it's gone. And I just feel like the whole YouTube thing has been a really cool way to connect a bit more with people. Um, and then I also have really enjoyed 
just writing a little bit more about, you know, like creating my original idea was to have like newsletters that went out with like all the episodes and stuff. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of work, uh, but I have been able to just do a little bit more writing or, you know, and have like everything a bit more organized. Like you got your thumbnails, you got your, your social media cuts, you've got your pink bike articles. Um, it's just been really cool to kind of build all that and then see what works and what doesn't and watch things grow. And then I think the most challenging part would be probably now at this time when we're kind of ramping up our training, um, trying to get ready for the season. We all have different uh, obligations and stuff that we have to do, we, but we still kind of want to keep making videos and stuff. But it's it's very hard to uh, get a day where Remy, Jesse and I can all kind of go out and film and feel accomplished, you know, um, whereas like a few months ago, we had a bit more time. but. I think that's probably the hardest part. Yeah, it's just trying to, and I'm like the other two are pretty chill, but I'm like a a little more like OCD and like I like organization, and so sometimes I feel like I bug them a bit. I'm like, so guys, like how we doing on this one? You know, because they do most of the editing, whereas I'm not as experienced with like Final Cut and stuff. I've started to play around and organize timelines, and then Remy's really good at editing. So a lot of time I'll build a timeline for him and then he'll kind of like polish it and, and make it nice. So I think, yeah, it's just trying to get all three of us lined up to go do do something. And yeah, but so far, I don't know. It's been fun. Man, the editing part. I feel like every video one ever puts out can just become an eternal rabbit hole. Yeah. And, you know, we get asked a lot at Blister, like, you know, would love to see more, you know, video reviews. Have you guys putting those out? And it's just like, cool. That's an entirely other company then, you know, like, yeah. I, th- I think people sometimes think like, oh, well, we'll just write this 10,000 word review and then also just knock out, you know, the accompanying video. And it's just like the, to do this stuff well, you know, even if you're taking on a, a like rougher, sort of more cinema verite or something kind of style. Video is just a sea of infinite decisions. Yeah. That's where I was curious if if you were going to say the editing itself was kind of the hardest part, but it sounds like you are probably doing something smart, which is trying to remove yourself, especially <laughs> if you're self-describing as OCD. <laughs> yeah. Probably best to not have you be the main editor or we'll, we'll never see you ever again. You'll yeah. just be working on the same video for the next 10 years. Yeah, and, and Remy is is really good at it, and he enjoys it once he once Remy sits down and does something, he does it really well. You know, the challenge is is to getting him to sit down, and he it's fun it's funny watching him because he he's exactly what you're just talking about. He'll like, oh, okay, I think I'm done. Like, come check it out, and I'll watch. I'm like, oh, that's like perfect. And he'll be like, oh no, I like noticed this one thing. I gotta like change, and then, and then he's like still in there like three hours later, and you're like. You're like, what you, yeah, I thought you said you were done. You're like, well, no, I like, I noticed all these things. And like, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's hard work and getting the sound and the color correcting all right. Like he, uh, yeah, he, he puts a lot of time into a lot of the videos. So, and same with Jesse. Well, it seems like you guys are off to a solid start. So I hope you three are enjoying it and find it to be worthwhile because they're really fun watching. I can, I can say that. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, we yeah, we'll uh keep it up as long as we can. <laughs> awesome. You mentioned doing some writing and we're actually going to talk about 
books probably a bit later, but when did you kind of catch the reading and writing bug? Has that been a long-standing thing or more recently come about? I'd say it's, um, if, if anyone has ever met my mother, you would know that it's always been a part of our life. Um, we grew up with, we didn't have like TV or anything. Like we had a TV to watch kind of movies, but we didn't have, you know, cable or whatever. And so we grew up doing a lot of like art, art and writing and reading and playing outside and, uh, things like that. And yeah, I don't know. It's always, it's always been a big part of my life, I think. And that's at school. That's what I enjoyed the most. I really liked art, writing, like more of the creative side. Um, I always enjoyed the other things, but I just didn't, they just maybe weren't as natural to me. Um, yeah, I think, I think for my whole family reading, especially reading and then writing for myself has been, has been, uh, something I've always enjoyed to do. So as a kid, you, you know, your family was sort of a reading family and hence you were like a reading kid. Is that true? I don't know. We kind of just did it all. Um, I did lots of sports. Um, I was super into sports. And uh, I have two older sisters and an older brother. And, you know, my one of my sisters, she was more into reading. She didn't really do sports. But then my other two siblings, they were more basketball, golf kind of thing. No one, no one mountain biked. But um, for me, it was always, yeah, it was uh, mountain biking, skiing, uh, soccer, like anything I, I, anything I could do, I wanted to do. Yeah, uh, I love track and field and like things like that. Um, but then around the age 10, my parents, uh, they would give us an allowance. Uh, I can't, I think it was like hundred dollars a month or something. I can't remember how much it was, but we were then in charge of all our extracurricular activities. So I was about 10 and that's when I started, I had to figure out budgeting, you know, I was like, well, I want to play soccer. I want to join a hockey team. <laughs> And my best friend, he was a ski racer, like a downhill ski racer. And that was like my dream. I was like, oh, I just want a downhill ski race. And I was like, I was shitty at skiing. I was like, not good at skiing. But I was like, yeah, I just want to be a downhill skier. It looks so fun. And so my mom's like, oh, well, like, go find out how much Whistler Ski Club costs or whatever. So, you know, I came back and I was like, yeah, I just don't have like 20 grand. <laughs> and so, so then from an early age, I kind of just learned how to like direct my energy, I guess, you know, if I only had, you know, $500 saved up, like, well, what was I going to do with it? And, uh, a lot of the time that was buy a bike, sign up for soccer or something, you know? Um, so yeah, that, that was kind of cool. I am, uh, I'm glad they did that. I'm trying to picture like little Miranda <laughs> sitting there with like a, with like a Excel spreadsheet <laughs> or something. Pretty close, man. Yeah. I remember wanting to join hockey, and so my mom gave me, like, a, I don't know, Canadian Tire Sears catalog, and she's like, all right, well, like, find out all the equipment that you need. And I was just like, at, like, hockey, there's, like, so many pads and stuff, and I was just like, oh, my God, like, I can't afford hockey. <laughs> so I'm going to choose downhill mountain biking. <laughs> Seems cheap. <laughs> that part doesn't seem to check out so well. Like, how did you make that work? Well... I, I So I was living in Pemberton. I grew up in Pemberton, BC until I was about 12. And yeah, I saved up all my money and bought my first mountain bike. It was pretty sick. It had forks, had, you know, suspension. That's all I cared about. Um, and then when I was 12, we moved to Squamish. And I think that's when it kind of really kicked off for me. 
and uh, actually got a job at the local bike shop when I was 12. The The owner at the time, Dave, he claims that he thought I was 16 and a boy. And uh, so that, that was always his joke. That's why he, he hired me. Uh, but I worked I worked at Course of Cycles from, yeah, I was 12, still in elementary school, up until I was uh, 27. So they've wow. been kind of like a huge part of, of my career. And so I could get cheap bikes through them and they would, you know, they would always help me out and, you know, cheap parts. Or Dave would always buy uh, my wheels for racing and then we'd like build them up together and stuff. And that, that was really cool too. So I kind of just, I loved biking the most and it's what I always wanted to do and then I think I just got really lucky with just you know people helping me out and giving me opportunities along the way you know I can't really say for any particular reason I just you know maybe it was just good right time right people kind of thing I think but what was it I mean you mentioned you're like my best friend was into ski racing so I was like I totally want to do that you mentioned hockey I missed the part of the story where you sort of got obsessed with bikes early. I mean, so what helped you or what caused you to catch the bike bug? Or did that happen after you just sort of happened to start working in a bike shop? Uh, no, like definitely, I think. I I kind of remember this one moment. It was when I was still living in Pemberton and uh, there's all these kind of like old school North Shore trails, you know, with like ladder bridges and, and drops and stuff. And I remember hitting this drop. It was maybe it was taller than I was, and it had an uphill landing. And I remember I hit it before all my friends. I was the first one to hit it, and I bent my handlebar on the landing. But I think that was like that was just such a cool moment for me. I feel like because I was like doing this thing that I was scared of, but I knew I could do it, kind of thing. And uh, it was probably cool too. Like made me feel good that. You know, I I did it before any of the boys and something like that, maybe. And I, I feel like that moment, it was just such so much fun. And mountain, mountain bikes just let us be maybe a little bit freer. And it also gave me that uh that speed that I always craved. Like, I think that's why I really wanted to downhill ski race, because you could just go so fast. And uh, that's what I've always really loved. Like in, in gym class and stuff, we would go rock climbing in Squamish and... uh I just never liked it because it was slow and too meth- too methodical. Like it was just slow and methodical. My favorite part of climbing was when you would fall, you know, and that was the best part because you were just like rip backwards and then like swing or something. And that was like the coolest part. Um, so, yeah, I think mountain bike just let me, um, yeah, go fast and kind of go, go explore. And that was that was probably it. Makes perfect sense. I love the part that your favorite part of climbing was falling. You're like, yes, something is finally <laughs> yeah. happening. Yeah, no, it's exciting. <laughs> yeah. So somewhere between being 12 years old and, well, I, I don't know. I, I'm bad at math, but I mean, you end up on the World Cup DH circuit in 2017. So this whole going fast on on a bike <laughs> thing kind of works out for you. Yeah. How did I get there? I don't know. I just, it was my mom's idea when I was like 14 to go do a downhill race because she wanted to visit a friend. And, uh, you're kidding. Yeah. And I, well, I mean, like, yeah, I just didn't know there were races. I feel like I was just like living in my own, I don't know. I just love biking, but I was just like, ah, oh, 
those races seem far away. I can't do those, you know, like I just, it just never really crossed my mind. And then, uh, Tamsin was like, oh, well, you know, I want to go visit my friend in Penticton and there's this downhill race. So I went, I, I forgot my shorts. So I practiced in jeans. I was riding a hardtail and I crashed like so many times in my race run because I was so nervous and, uh, it really pissed me off. And I think that's what, that was like my addiction to racing from that day because I was like, what? Like, I'm way better than that. And like, why didn't, why didn't I race that way? And so I just got hooked. And I just, from then on, it was like just trying to go to all the races I could. And eventually, you know, that, that leads to the World Cup. And, and, uh, yeah, I'd just, I'd work at Corsa during the winter and save up money and go and try and do as many World Cups as I can. And yeah, kind of just, built went from there okay can we go back to the part where your first dh race was on a hardtail <laughs> yeah it was a sick hardtail <laughs> what year was this uh i don't like 2004 2005 i uh i had stuck to a hardtail i was 14 or 15 and had triple crown forks and a 24 inch rear wheel and uh, I had stuck to the hardtail. I remember saying this when I bought it. I was like, I want to ride a hardtail for one more year to really develop my skills. Because, <laughs> like, everyone told me that you'd, like, be a better rider if you rode a hardtail. And so I was like, well, I'm not old enough for a full suspension yet. And so uh, I bought a hardtail with, uh, like, some bomber triple crowns on it. Like, junior tees or something. I can't remember. <laughs> but at the time, it, like... People were riding their full suspension bikes, oh, yeah. but you were doing this because you were told, and maybe not incorrectly, <laughs> though perhaps somewhat dangerously, <laughs> yeah. like you're going to develop better handling skills on a hardtail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's either worked out to be really good advice or someone was trying to get you killed. I don't know what, yeah, I, know. I don't know which story to go with here. It's a sketchy bike too. And it's funny because my dad, I'd always like, the chain would just always fall off. And so I was like, oh, like I really need to get a chain guide. And my, my dad's like the kind of guy, he's like, hey, you're not, I'm not you're not spending $120 on that thing. Like I'm going to build you one. And so like I'd have this, like these huge, like steel, like homemade chain guides that were like, but he, like, didn't really understand, like, the mounting system. And I remember, like, putting them between my cranks, but then my cranks not tightening properly. Like, all those kind of things. So, when did you get your first bike that wasn't built by your dad <laughs> for racing? Uh, so, the the year after that, I there was a... So, Shams March lived in Squamish. He was, like, a ex ex-pro uh, top American rider. And he did a lot of coaching clinics and stuff. And he had actually noticed me at that first downhill race that I, I had gone to and contacted me about coaching. And so I, I worked with him probably from, uh, yeah, pretty much that, that year. So I was 14 up until maybe I was 18. Um, and he, at the time, him and Mike Jones were riding for Norco. And so I was on the Norco grassroots team. And so I got a cool jersey and then an even bis bigger discount on a bike and uh, got my first full suspension and, yeah, just, just kind of went from there. And then as you think about some of your time on the World Cup DH circuit, talk about a couple of your favorite memories. Maybe I need to say so far. 
Yeah. And because we'll get to that, like whether you're, you know, <laughs> whether you're going to be kind of walking back to that circuit or if that's behind you, I, I'm not sure. I don't know if you're sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, man. I went through like um, my World Cup experience. I feel like kind of went in waves of how I approached it. And so when I first went, it was like very YOLO for a better, you know, it was just like, you're there. I have no idea what's going on. I'm just, oh man, I went to a few World Cups with Alex Pro. Uh, I don't know if you know Alex Pro, but we went to a few World Cups together, and like that was super fun. But like I did not race well. Uh, we were having too much fun, you know. Uh, that was like La Bresse and Andorra in two thousand and nine. Um, you know, soap and water fountains, and you know, we we're just having too much fun. And uh, yeah, I did not race well. Uh, and then I started training with Todd uh, Shumlik with Performex, and and that was like uh, Remy, Michaela Gatto, and Casey Brown, and that was like the polar opposite. So that was like that was like too much structure, and I was just a head case. But like I also didn't race well because I was, you know, I was trying to control everything, and like I wanted everything to be, you know, I had to. Uh, it was just like it was too much, and I and that didn't work for me either. So, and but then after that, I I was started to learn how to strike a bit of a better balance of uh, you know just like letting go of the things that you can't control and f- focusing on what you can and actually enjoying it a bit more. And so when I look back, it kind of bums me out that I, I had it feels like I had wasted some of those those years being way too serious, trying to trying to be like perfect because like you can't be perfect and it, yeah it, it was good for me because I learned a lot of things that I still use today but part of me is like man like why was I so serious <laughs> you know like racing is so fun <laughs> you know and it was so yeah so part of me kind of regrets that I took things so seriously but it also taught me so much taught me how to strike that balance I guess so I can be grateful for that and uh but yeah, I, I don't know. Every every event is always, you know, at, you watch any World Cup live and it is just confirms that downhill mountain biking is the sickest sport ever. Downhill mountain biking, sickest sport ever. It's the best. <laughs> what are your other contenders, I should ask? Hmm. Downhill mountain biking on the top. Probably downhill skiing <laughs> and um third i feel like you're gonna say something like base jumping <laughs> no i don't know i was gonna say maybe like basketball or something like i like watching basketball because it's like fast-paced people are always like score you know like something's always going on okay it seems like base jumping would be a thing you'd be into true or false uh true i think I went. I've, I haven't gone uh, skydiving or anything, but we Finn Loic and I did this like bungee swing in New Zealand, and it was honestly the best feeling I've like ever had. So I feel like base jumping would be fun. <laughs> okay, basically the main thing I've learned about you is you really like falling fast. Yeah. Okay, so anything that involves falling fast, you're probably in. I'm probably in. Yeah. 
let's talk a little bit about sort of the DH circuit and the enduro scene. Yeah, so t- 2017, I signed a Specialized Gravity, and um, that was pretty insane for me. That was like, I honestly feel like, you know when like you dream about something so long and then it comes true and then you actually don't know what to do with yourself? Um, that's kind of how it felt for me. And it was probably the coolest two years of my life. Like, it still, it still like blows my mind that I was like on that team. And that that was unreal. And, you know, Loic Finn and I are, you know, we're really good friends now. And that was amazing. But I had I had so many injuries throughout that. And I wanted so badly to do well because I was finally in this position where I could do well. You know, I had everything, but I just, you know, I, I had torn my PCL and bruised my uh, femur at Fort William. And the rest of 2017 was really hard for me. And then the next year I had all these ligament issues in my wrist and I couldn't hold on. And it, it just trying to race a world cup when you're not physically a hundred percent or it obviously makes you far less than uh, mentally a hundred percent is honestly, it's so hard and it's so hard on like your nervous system. Like I finished that season and I was so burnt out. It was insane. And it's like a feeling that you don't, so different than like a physical fatigue and it's like was pretty hard to recover from and i just needed to do something totally different well i don't know if you can say enduro is totally different but it is it's pretty different you know from downhill and so i just i switched things up and and uh, did a full season of enduro and that was really good because i got to race a couple world cups and it I had no pressure at those World Cups and I got to get back into that uh, kind of downhill mind frame. And yeah, it was really 2019 was a super fun year. I think that's a really interesting point when you're like, I needed to just sort of do something different. Well, I don't know how different Enduro really is. Well, in a way, it doesn't matter. It felt different enough to you. Hence, it was different enough, right? What's between your ears gets to determine that not not anything else but i'm curious to hear you say a little more like what felt so different enough to where you felt like you were able to sort of break through that feeling of burnout yeah i feel like it was just a whole new set of challenges so i got to train differently and then well same with like the i was having the ligament issues in my wrist like i said and enduro the speeds are lower than the compressions aren't as big. So I was like, okay, well maybe I'll be able to, you know, physically perform a bit better that way, trying to adapt to new terrain. And like, I still really struggle with that in enduro is just the downhill is like, you memorize that track, you know, everything on that track and then you perfect that track. And that is sort of like my personality as well. So then swapping to enduro where you can't be perfect and you have to just go with the flow and really be mindful of just exactly what you're doing at that time you can't be thinking about okay this corner is coming up like downhill you're almost thinking a step ahead sort of thing whereas enduro i find you've got to be very present because you can't remember that step ahead things like that um so that was that was really that's probably the biggest difference fair to say enduro felt more like improv or improvisational whereas dh to you felt more you know like these amazing like gymnastic routines right there's no improv in those you you have memorized and dialed in 
this incredibly complex routine and then you just it's all about going to execute exactly that incredibly complex routine there's no improv or shouldn't be if you just killed it so that's really interesting you think most other riders would agree with you on that sort of classification of sort of dh versus enduro i think so and i think the people that race enduro or like are very successful at enduro like i feel like they are just so good at reacting you know like their reaction times and their ability to read terrain is really good um because you know imagine riding like a super technical trail for the first time and trying to go as fast as you can or like trying to ride at a speed that you can learn the trail but then the speed is realistic for the race um it's it's a really interesting uh it's yeah, it's really interesting. The pra- the whole practice thing and yeah, it's cool. I feel like for me right now enduro is uh it's still a really good cool challenge and I want to keep kind of keep going after it. I I'm glad that they have struck this deal with Discovery uh, channel to like try and televise some of the events cuz that was kind of like my main not like beef with enduro, but I just didn't understand how this kind of racing was gonna grow like because you have to you know like downhill is so exciting and you can be sitting at your in your living room watching the sport and you can you love it whereas like enduro you're like watching a twitter feed or something like you know like it needs more of a real-time experience to to really like grow and get the fans more involved and then with that i think like the track choice and stuff needs to be sort of like I don't know. Better <laughs> needs to be better. <laughs> no, I don't. Not not in every every race, but better in what sense? Like it really, like Zermatt is obviously a beautiful place, but I would never say that Zermatt is a mountain bike destination. Uh, they have one trail that has just been built. It's like a flow trail, and that is their first ever like purpose built mountain bike trail. And so for us to go there two years in a row to this place that isn't a mountain bike destination to race like hiking trails that no, you know, like no, and no one is watching. And it's like one of the most expensive resorts ever. It was just kind of like, well, we could be doing something way cooler, couldn't we? (laughs) You know, like, I don't know. It just that that for me, honestly, was like a bit of like a. Like, I was just really disappointed that we went back there. Um, and that's, that's like, aside from, you know, COVID, all that kind of stuff. Like, because the EWS did a really good job at getting racing going in COVID and stuff. And, and they had all those challenges to deal with in Zermatt. It was just the fact that we were racing in these non-mountain bike locations kind of thing that just... It just sort of bummed me out. And I was like, I don't know. There's just so many amazing places to ride bikes. Why aren't we going to one of, one of those places, you know? Do you have a favorite enduro destination or, and let's just say, you know, obviously anything you've ridden so far. So this isn't your answer for all time. And maybe, maybe you find a new venue in the next year or two or something, but of everything you've ridden so far, does one stand out for you? I would say like a standout location is Derby in Tasmania. Um, like that place is insane. And then also Lizor's bike park in France was really fun. And it was just good mountain biking. It was more natural. Um, lots of off camber, Rudy, 
but uh, just a good variety, and it was really fun, yeah. I'd say those two places probably stick out the most for me. And we've been to, like, a ton of amazing places. And and I've only raced for two years, or barely two years, I guess. And speaking of which, I mean, what do your plans look like for the rest of this year? I mean, are the plans to keep racing enduro? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to go do pretty much the full, yeah, the full enduro season. uh, And then hopefully Leger World Cup, the downhill. So we leave June 15th and then we're going to probably just stay in Europe until the end of, or end of September, beginning of October. And uh, we are kind of playing with the idea of coming home, but Canada has some pretty strict uh, quarantine still. So, you know, you could come home, quarantine for two weeks, pay the $2,000 or whatever, or you, we just stay in Europe. And uh, it's kind of cool because we've never been forced to stay in Europe. And, you know, sometimes it's uh, it's easy to come home because that's what you're comfortable with. But uh, it'll be it'll be a cool experience to spend that much time in Europe. No, it sounds awesome, actually. Yes. Yeah, so if you need like a podcast host to accompany you or something, you know, just <laughs> yeah. let me know. But few few months in Europe sounds all right. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's cool. So yeah, a, a pretty nice, pretty full race lineup mm-hmm. intact going forward is what your next number of months or year looks like. Yeah. And then uh, pretty unknown beyond beyond uh, beyond that. I'm not sure what my plans are for 2022. I feel the need right now, moving forward, like 2022 and beyond, I, I feel kind of a bit more of a need to do more of a variety of things. So I'm not sure what that's going to look like. But I have spent like a long time saying, I'll do that next year. And you don't get to do that next year, you know, and th- and that's not a bad thing, you know, because I'm doing a lot of other really cool things. But, um, you know, like I've grown up here and I've never ridden the Chilcotins or because like I'm always away when, you know, when it's open and, you know, I'd I'd love to do like a gravel race or, you know, like some stage race that's, you know, I've always wanted to do the Cape Epic, even though it's like probably as shitty as it is i've always wanted to do it or like bc bike race or something like that um but but i also am not ready i don't think to step away from racing enduro or racing downhill um but i don't know if i do if i do all of it or some of it or or what but i feel and i also feel a bit more of a need to like just i guess with covid you've been removed from fans and people and friends and a lot of what we're doing is now you know a youtube video or something and you really miss these like um on ground experiences and connections that you get when you go to these races um you know like you don't get to visit the local shops and go ride with the local shredders and stuff like that and that i think is really cool and i hope that in 2022 you know, if restrictions aren't aren't like they are, that you can have more of these in-person experiences that, yeah, we've kind of been missing the past past couple of years. Amen. Yeah. yeah. It just letting the world open up again and getting to go meet good people in other towns and states and cities and countries. That sounds real, real nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I got to ask you about coffee because <laughs> you have 
I think one of the best sort of at least coffee related stories I've ever heard. <laughs> I assume you know what I'm talking about. You care to share? Uh, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So when I signed with Specialized, Specialized loves racing. So they have a very uh, healthy uh, bonus structure. And so the bonus for winning world champs was like pretty big. And I remember joking when I signed the contract, I was like, holy shit, that's a lot of money. And I was like, hey guys, to Remy and our, our roommate Lee, I was like, if I win worlds, I'm going to buy us a sick espresso machine. And then friggin' a year, you know, almost like eight months later, I won worlds and they were like texting me like all these like coffee emojis and all this stuff. And I was like, what are they talking about? And then I was like, oh my God. I said I was going to buy a machine, but... You'd forgotten? Oh, yeah. I, I had 100% forgotten. I was like, what are they talking about? And then, yeah, I was like, oh, we're getting a new espresso machine. <laughs> I tra- I'd like... We were walking somewhere and like Sven Martin was there and he was like, oh, big payday for Specialized because like Loic had won as well. And then I clued in that I was getting a bonus. I was like, holy shit, you win money for this stuff. <laughs> You don't just do this shit for free. <laughs> and so, yeah, we got a, a pretty nice uh, home setup. So I bought the machine and then, you know, Remy wanted to be involved. So he bought the grinder and uh, we have we have a very nice uh, home home cafe. <laughs> OK, but this has been a couple years now. Right. So like this is good. I can ask you for like the long term review what espresso machine did you go with? What grinder did you go with? And is it working out well? Is it everything you kind of hoped it would be? It's everything everything I hoped. So we went for the ECM Synchronica and then the ECM grinder, the Titan, I think it's called. So like titanium burrs on the grinder, going to last 150 years. And then the ECM, is it's very similar to like a rocket, uh, but it's got better, like a little bit, higher quality internals for longevity, um, a built-in PID and shot timer, you know, dual boiler. It's, uh, it's really nice. You know, you can pour your shot, steam your milk at the same time, no problems. Uh, and then we recently just got like a flow control so you can like pressure profile. Um, so you can like pre-infuse the shot and then you can change the flow rate throughout, throughout the shot. And, and that we've just had that for maybe a few weeks and uh, that's like a whole nother rabbit hole because there's like all these like recipes you can do, you know, like, you know, quarter turn for 15 seconds, bump it up fully open and then close it. Like there's all this like and it's definitely it, it's crazy. Like we did back to back testing of like uh, just the taste and it's it's actually it's pretty wild. How different it is. Yeah. Yeah. Like significantly better. Yeah. Wow. It's uh, it's really cool. <laughs> Who's the bigger coffee dork you or remy remy 100 percent. remy is yeah okay like i like i really like good coffee but at a certain point i just want to drink it like i kind of need it right now so i'm actually not that big of a coffee dork because the whole like waiting give me now <laughs> yeah give me now versus like no hang on i'm i'm very much in the stop it give me now camp so I kind of admire from afar people who have, you know, enough self-control and self-discipline to like wait and be patient for their sort of perfect shot to come. Sounds like you guys actually are more in the like, you will exercise the patience. Yeah, a bit, I guess. But we have a, 
we have it on a Wi-Fi switch, so it turns on so it's hot before we get up. So you're not waiting for the machine to warm up. And then as long as you got your grind dialed, it's pretty quick. You know, and once you once you have your system, you know, like you got your scale, you measure it, it's all quick, you know. You got you got a latte in, you know, under a couple minutes. But uh for camping and stuff we we do a lot of pour over. And that is, you're definitely waiting more in the pour over game. And that's pretty fun too, but that's a whole nother ball game that, uh, we've only just slightly dabbled in. I know what I'm doing when we, when we wrap up this conversation. God, I love coffee. <laughs> books. Books. I said earlier we were going to talk about books a little bit. And in particular, you've mentioned that Tom Robbins <laughs> is one of the people you would most like to have dinner with. I thought that was fascinating. I don't feel like I hear a lot of, you know, people talking about Tom Robbins these <laughs> days. So, well, first of all, that sounds like it'd be an interesting dinner. But why Tom? What was it about Tom Robbins? Have you read all of his books? Most of them? You just have one that you love? What's going on here? I really love Jitterbug Perfume. I feel like all his books are are quirky quirky enough but still not too quirky that it's like annoying to read i just like his style and, and the way that he is able to describe something fairly plain in a way that i've never thought about it before i guess i don't know if that makes any sense it absolutely does it's like one of the very best things about reading i think right is when you have an author like in sort of translates or opens up the world or any portion of the world in a certain way. Yeah. And they're, yeah, they're just, they're quirky and, and fun. And I just imagine that he is a bit quirky, fun and, and maybe, um, yeah, he'd be, he'd be a good guy to, to hang out with a little bit, I think. So are you in it just for like a kind of a fun evening, a fun hang, or is there stuff you want to ask him in particular about, you know, writing. No, you yeah, just want I just, the want, fun I just hang. want to know what he's all about. You know, I feel like there's like a little bit of like, you know, like, like oh yeah, he lives like in a cabin in Seattle, or you know, I just feel like there's a little bit like mystique about him. You know, I just want to like, just want to know what he's all about. You know, it's kind of like Bill Murray. You just want to like, oh, hundred percent. Just want to hang out with him a bit and be like, what's this guy like? You know, because you hear all these stories about Bill Murray doing like funny shit, and you're like. It's, you know, I just want to just want to hang out with him for a bit. <laughs> you clarified for me with that analogy. You clarified it perfectly. Would you call Robbins like your favorite writer? I don't know if I have a favorite writer. I feel like I, I, I don't. I don't know. Like I read. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, what if I we did the What if we did the podium question again? Okay. And it, we won't hold you to this for like your answer for all time. Yeah. But in this moment, if you kind of had to pick like your top three authors. Well, Tom Robbins. I don't know if I'd say authors, but I can do books for sure. Uh, okay. I just finished Circe, which I loved. Uh, the Elegance of the Hedgehog. My Family and Other Animals. And the Jitterbug Perfume, I think. That oh, Actually, no. My favorite author, sorry. My favorite author is uh, David Sedaris. David Sedaris? Yeah. Okay. He's just, I, I listen to all his audiobooks, and I'd say, you know, I, I've listened to them all multiple times. Okay. So we have on your emerging or developing podium here, 
We're going Sedaris, Tom Robbins. There's room for one more, at least for, you know, right now. I, I don't necessarily always, like, stick to authors more so much as just explore books. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not strong on authorial loyalty yeah. per se. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I almost don't want... Um, I also like Christopher Moore. Have you written uh, Red Lamb by him? That's that's a really good book. Um, it's about Jesus Christ and his best friend Biff. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> it's, and it's Biff. very Tom Tom Robbins like. Yeah, I don't know, but um, yeah, I think probably one of my favorite books is The Elegance of the Hedgehog, which is written by I think you pronounce it Mary Marielle Barbary, uh, a French author. Excellent. Ten out of ten. Recommend. 10 out of 10. All right. I don't know. We're kind of firing back up this blister book club thing. So I might need to recruit you. Yeah, I want to I want to join. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to doing this. I we're late uh, because I broke myself in half. We were supposed to air a conversation about Marcus Aurelius's meditations. So hopefully that will go up like a week from today i think on monday but um i might recruit you back in and so you'll have some time to think about this yeah, okay. if you think if we were to do a conversation about you know one book if it should be something of tom robbins if it should be the elegance of the hedgehog you you got some time to think but it seems like we should do this because yeah, uh that'd be great. It seems like you're you're thinking about books quite a bit so yeah my uh, yeah that would that would be awesome um my mom is uh they recently moved, and so she, there's a bookstore in Whistler, and they do, like, at-home deliveries, and, like, the guy will just randomly show up with, like, a bag of books, and my mom's like, oh, did you get the books? And, like, next to my, like, my bedside table is, like, there's a stack of books. It's, like, higher than my lamp. Like, there's so many books. I'm like, I, I don't have this much time. She's like, have you read this one yet? I was like, no. <laughs> oh, oh, another one is The Salt Path. That one, that one is really amazing. Um, true story. The Salt Path, man, I don't know that one either. It's about like an uh, an older couple who lose everything and they end up walking. It's called the Salt Path, I guess. In in England, it go it wraps like around the coast of England, and uh, yeah, it's a very uh, I don't know. It's very nice. Uh, a bit sad, like it's a little heartbreaking almost, but not in a sad way, you know, just in a way that is life. <laughs> if you know what I mean. I don't. Heartbreaking, but not in a sad way. Well, like it is, but you're like, you know what? That's that's just what happened. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> wow. Okay. The salt path. Man, you've given me a lot. This is good. I mean, I'm entering this, you know, rehab period where I can't do a whole lot other than read. So I think you've given me some winners here. So uh, I'll dive in. I should let you get going soon, though. But I kind of have to end with what might be the hardest question I've asked you. Okay. Because what we like to do around here is ask our guests what their big idea is. Hmm. It's a good question. What's my big idea? We were joking earlier because uh, Remy and Lee, our roommate and all our buddies, they were going for a ride and they're like, oh, like what podcast are you doing? Like Joe Rogan? 
And I was like, yeah, we're going to talk about how, like, everyone's got to do mushrooms. <laughs> but, like, maybe my big idea is that every kid should do at least one month of dishwashing. I think I think every oh, teenage yeah. teenager, no matter what, no matter who they are, should get a job as a dishwasher. That that should be mandatory. <laughs> I love this. I love this. You nailed the answer. I I used to have a thing where I would say if anyone was ever dumb enough to make me president, I would mandate like every single person has to work for 6 months in a restaurant like waiting okay. tables. But I like your one month of dishwashing. Yeah. And do you want to elaborate? Why do you think that's the move? One month of dishwashing. Because dishwashing sucks. And it's a super hard job. You get paid like nothing. And you're constantly hustling. And like it's loud. There's no room for excuses. Like you're in a kitchen in a restaurant, you cannot, like, you just have to be on it, you know? And someone is going to yell at you, but, like, you got to, like, pick up that slack and you got to do those dishes, you know? And I just remember I was a dishwasher and it was, like, it was just, like, miserable. But, like, you you would just, like, get into it and you're like, I have to do this. Like, you know, like, it's it's shitty, but it's your job. And it it, like, I don't know. I feel like everyone should have to experience it. <laughs> They should experience it because it's a crappy thing to experience or like you're like, hey, sometimes it's a great lesson for like sometimes in life yeah. you just have to put your head down, go do the thing even when it sucks and you're getting yelled at. Exactly. So you like it for that. For that, you know, like you it's 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 gross and it's stinky, but it's your job and you have to do it because you're being paid to do it. And I don't know. I just feel like it. It would be a good discipline lesson, <laughs> and I mean it's a little consequence, you know. So it's like you know, no one's no one's getting hurt. You just gotta go wash some dishes. <laughs> yeah, it's just like sometimes in life, put your head down, wash the damn dishes, and that's a pretty solid discipline to uh, have experienced going through life with whatever future activity you're gonna get involved with. Yeah. I like I like your idea too, like working as a wait, waiter, or waitress, or something, just so you know you know what it's like on the other side, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, and just dealing with people who some dude had a crappy day and his boss yelled him at work at work, and he comes in and yells at you, and you're like, dude, this isn't my problem, but just having to deal with people, and some of them are super happy, and some of them are super angry, and some of them you can tell are about to go get divorced from the person they're with and like right after this meal, it's like that some, some decent interpersonal skills I think get developed from that front of the house stuff. Yeah, for sure. I think working at the bike shop from such a young age, I'm really grateful for that because you do, you learn how to read people and read situations and make small talk, which, you know, is a skill in itself and uh, talk about things that's, you know, sometimes you don't want to talk about, but you, you, you know, you you learn how to adapt to whoever you're you're dealing with or whatever, and I think I'm I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, excellent. Well, apparently your life of service in a bike shop served you well for you know this conversation. <laughs> so uh, this is 
This has really been fun. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so thanks. Let's see, with MGM Alternative, are you filming again currently? Are you about to drop something else? What can you tell us on that front? Yeah, so we've filmed, like I said, we have a backlog of about like 20 episodes or something. So we're going to be releasing every week. And then we filmed uh, filmed one last week with Jesse, a comfort zone one as well. So that one was pretty cool. I was I was like, guys, like no pressure to do these comfort zone ones because like I feel like you guys got to do something super gnarly. <laughs> you know, whereas I'm like, oh, I want to hit this drop. Whereas them, you're like, what even is it? But um, it was really cool. And so that one, I'd say that one is going to be really good. And then, yeah, we have a lot more wide variety tech, more tech nerdy stuff because that's kind of who we are and what we do and then we've dabbled in some instructional videos we have a series called getting critical where we just go out and critique each other (laughs) and uh that one's pretty good so yeah we we have kind of a bit of everything coming awesome well all the episodes have been really fun so far so i'm psyched that you guys are doing this and that we've got more coming out and uh look forward to all of them and I will have to hit you up about the Blister Book Club. Yeah, please do. You think a bit about what you think we ought to discuss and what you want, you know, a bunch of people going to read because we try to give people enough time to like, all right, this is what we're going to be doing in whatever, three or four weeks. So, you know, go read it. You can catch our conversation. But uh, so you think on that and uh, we'll find a time to uh, talk books. Perfect. I like it. Thank you. Well, hey, this has been super fun. All the best to you. Good luck with the whole Europe thing. When do you take off? June 15th. So three three weeks or so, yeah. That's going to be, I'm whatever goes down, I'm sure that's going to just be an amazing time yeah. to get to have that much time over in Europe. So that sounds awesome and be rooting for you and uh, hope it all goes great. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. All right, well, listen. Till the next time, you take care, and uh, I'm going to let you, uh, like, literally get out of the closet now. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, good good luck with that shoulder and those ribs, man. Thanks a lot. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, take care. Well, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. Thanks to Miranda for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And now, go check out that buyer's guide we did, if you haven't done so already and do let us know what you think. And from all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we will talk to you again real soon.